Would you like to turn to 1 Thessalonians 4? And um, we'll be starting in verse 13. Before we read it, best just to explain to you the Thessalonians. Right back at the beginning of this series, remember we talked about the Thessalonian church and how it was formed and so on. And the great thing about the New Testament is that the church in the New Testament was the early church, we call it. That's not because they were you know, in advance for their train. That was a joke. <laughs> but it was because they were the first church people. Church people. And um, so they were discovering as they went along, day to day, what their faith was going to mean to them. That's, uh, that's what was happening. And um, sometimes they got it wrong and they had to be corrected. Now you should be very grateful that they got it wrong and had to be corrected because that is why the New Testament was written. Well, the, the letters anyway. And so the Thessalonian church had a worry. There were people in the Thessalonian church who were worrying. They were worrying unnecessarily. And Paul, in this passage, wants to correct them, wants to show them why it is not necessary that they worry so much. Stop worrying. By now you will be asking the question, what are they worrying about? Well, I'll tell you what they were worrying about. They were worrying about people who died. And grieving over people who died. It would appear they had this expectation that Jesus' return would be so quick after his ascension that everyone who'd been around at that time would be there for the return. So when people started dying before Jesus returned, it was a bit of a problem to them. And they said to themselves, oh my gosh, what happens to these people who've died? My friends, my relatives, my loved ones who've died before Jesus comes again. I'm sure now in glory they're having a bit of a laugh at themselves, you know, Golly gosh, we didn't think 2,000 years. We didn't think even 2,000 months, let alone 2,000 years. We didn't think 2,000 days even. And so they were worried. What happens to these people when Jesus comes again? They'll miss out on this glorious return of Jesus. Now, Paul had probably taught them about this and they got confused or forgotten what he said, and so he writes to them to remind them what he said. Right, is that enough? 
We're ready to hear his reply. So this was a question probably raised by themselves and passed on by Timothy to Paul. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you've no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labour pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep, as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Great, so today we're going to talk about living the life in the light of the return of Jesus. This series is about living the Christian life and Christians should live their lives in the light of the fact that Jesus is coming again. And he is coming again to meet with his people. And that's what Paul is saying in this passage. So I've got two points today. Only two, so we'll be finished early. 
and you can hit the T. I know that's what you want to do, really. So, point one is, don't worry. Okay? Point two is, be ready. Okay? Don't worry, but be ready. Good. There's some people smiling. By the time I finish this, you won't be smiling. <laughs> I'm sure some of you have been to non-Christian funerals. Have you? Uh, and they're not pleasant things to be at, are they? One of the really awkward things that occasionally comes the way of full-time ministry is a request to do a funeral that is not a Christian. I managed to get out of these, mostly, because <clears throat> I find it so difficult that people, when, it, when it's life, they are consistently anti-Christ, anti-Christian, etc., and then when it comes to death, they want some sort of hypocritical Christian thingy or something that at least says something sentimental that helps them through their grieving process. And so they want, they want a service that helps them through their grieving process. And I can understand that. Particularly because they have no hope. There is no hope for them of the resurrection of the body. They listen to the words, the Anglican service probably, and it sort of floats over their head because actually they don't believe it. Actually, they don't actually believe it. And so what they really believe is that death is the end, uh, that that's the finish of everything conscious in our lives. And that there is nothing left but decay. Some people have some other ideas about reincarnation and things like that. And all sorts of funny ideas circulate in folklore and folk culture about what happens after death. But the main point of it all, for people who have no faith like ours, is that it's hopeless. And Paul says this very clearly. Don't grieve like those who have no hope. What a horrendous place to be in, with no hope. And of course, atheists and such like like to proclaim that actually that's a good thing, you know, it's a, no mumbo-jumbo, no false hopes, no ridiculous superstitions. We just say, the end. Well, what's life for then? And it ends in a hopeless state. So, Paul wants to make this contrast between, between us and non-Christians. Because when we come to death, we have a hope. They were worried about these people who had died, their friends, their relatives, their loved ones, and they were worried that they'd somehow miss out 
on this resurrection. They got a bit confused about resurrection. They got a bit confused about what happens to people while, as Paul says, they are asleep. And so Paul wants to make it clear that when Jesus comes again, there will be a very clear sequence of events. He wants to be very clear that this sequence of events is the truth. This is the truth that sets us free from the fear of death. We are saved. We are redeemed. We live the life. And when we live the life, we end in life eternal. In other words, our life eternal actually has already started because we are saved. It is certain that you will go to heaven. It, well, we won't get onto that. It, it is certain that you will see Jesus when he returns. It is certain. This hope that we have is a certainty. Because biblical hope is a certainty. And biblical hope says, you will see Jesus. What these Thessalonians were worried about was that their dead ones wouldn't see Jesus. We're not really sure what they thought their dead ones would do or be. And Paul wants to reassure them, you know, this is, this is life. And life eternal. It doesn't stop with death. Your life eternal has started now and it won't stop with death. Your life eternal will continue. Death is the doorway into the presence of the King of Kings. In death we move from this realm into the realm where God is. Isn't that amazing? And of course, people can be suspicious of this. And I said, well, how do you know? How do you know? Well, I know because I know. How do you know you're born again? Well, you know because you know, don't you? The Holy Spirit has come to you and is rebirthed you and you know that that has happened and you know that you are a Christian. You're a believer. We've just been worshipping Jesus and I love the songs Paul chose today to fit in with this preach. There is a king in heaven and people who've died are with him. Their spirits are with him. Their bodies have decayed and gone to dust. But their spirits are with him. And just as one day past, you were created by God, there will come a day future when you will have a new immortal body. When dust will once again form that body. So Paul wants to be very clear what happens when Jesus comes again because that's what they were worried about. They'll miss out on the trumpet call. 
So, uh, where am I? I've lost my place. Ah! Yes. Romans 8, verse 11 says, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. He who raised Jesus from the dead, who did this first amazing miracle of raising Jesus from the dead, which says to us, your sins are forgiven. Which says to us that Jesus has completed the sacrifice. Which says to us that God now raises him up to be king of kings. Which says to us, Jesus is alive. He is alive. Immortally. Forever. With a new body that goes whoosh from place to place. Kapow! Through walls and doors. This new body where he eats fish because he likes fish. I like fish. Do you like fish? Will there be fish on the new earth? And so there might be cows as well. Who knows? We could get into this, couldn't we, eh? We could get into this. Will your favourite pussy be there, you know? Uh, little, little Tibby, or whatever you called your favourite cat. Oh, my word. There's so many questions without answers. But there is this answer. That you have life in your mortal body that will go on into immortality in a new body. One Corinthians fifteen verse twenty, Paul's been saying, you know, we'd be so hopeless if we if Christ is not raised, then you know we're a bunch of idiots. It's basically what he says. If Jesus Christ is not raised, then all us Christians, we are just a bunch of twits. We really have been deceived. We are not compass mentis, you know. We anyway, he says, but in fact. I love that. But, Paul loves but. He puts a lot of buts in important places. You could do a Bible study on but. It would be really good. But, in fact, yeah, in fact, it is a fact I'm beginning to feel when you say fact. You know that sense when you think, that's a funny word, isn't it? You know, you keep saying it and it, it <coughs> gains a sort of funniness. But I'm going to keep saying it because it's true. In fact, but, but yet, no, 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 that is not true. But this is true. In fact, oh, glorious, glorious thing. In fact, Jesus Christ 
is raised from the dead. And he repeats this simple, simple thing. For each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming. When we're talking about this, Paul always jumps from the ascension to the second coming. And he misses out all the bit in between. But it emphasises the simplicity of what's going on. Because, in fact, Jesus is raised from the dead and he is the first fruits. He is, in other words, the best, the first, God's gift to himself, his own son. who's been ascended and glorified and seated at the right hand of the Father until every enemy has made his footstool. And the last enemy to be made his footstool is death. And when that happens, Jesus comes again <coughs> and is united with us. So Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, as it were, all the rest of the fruits, us, Christ the firstfruits of the new kingdom of God. Christ the firstfruits of the new people of God. Christ the firstfruits. He is the guarantee that you will be in that grand, grand moment when he comes again. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end and the last enemy to be destroyed, to be destroyed is death. At his coming, those who belong to Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 is a, is a great uh, comparator to this passage. It's a, the, the, the two passages where Paul really gets into detail, especially 1 Corinthians 15. So I've just selected a little passage for you to have a, a, a listen to or look up as we go along. 1 Corinthians 15, 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual, the first man, was from the earth. A man of dust, the second man, is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also those who are of the dust. And as the man of heaven, so also those who are of heaven. Have you got all that? Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. This is your future. This is the certainty. You will bear the image of the man of heaven. Elsewhere, Paul writes, no, it's John. Elsewhere in the New Testament, in John's letters, he writes, when we see him, we will be like him. Isn't that a fantastic thing? Isn't that amazing? 
1 Corinthians 15, 52, or 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Paul loves to put these two together. And this is what he's doing with the Thessalonians. He's putting those who've died with those who are alive, both together. There will be no difference. The only difference there will be, Paul says in Thessalonians, is that the dead in Christ will rise first. It's like he's saying to the Thessalonians, you're worried about them being left behind. Actually, they'll precede you. The graves will be opened. Wherever they are, you will see them clothed in immortality like the man of heaven. You will see them. Those who died in Christ will rise first and you'll see them. Spirit will be united with new body and you will see them. And then, Paul says, you too will rise to be with Christ. There'll be this meeting in the air that has caused Christians down through the years so much debate and so much, you know, the rapture it's called. We will be rapturized. This rapture that Paul describes here is not secret. Oh no. There will be a trumpet sound. There will be the voice of the archangel. It will be a tumultuous event. It will be an event that cannot be ignored. The whole world will see. It's going to be a, an event surpassing all other events the cosmos has ever seen. The creator opens the sky and Jesus comes. What's he going to be like? I have no idea. Except this. It's loud. It's public. And every eye will see him. And if anyone tells you a theology otherwise, refer them to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Or 1 Corinthians 15 and the end. All sorts of complicated ideas have been pursued. Just stick to the simple scriptures. The dead will rise in Christ and be with him as he approaches earth.
And as he continues to approach earth, we too will rise. Suddenly our bodies changed in the twinkling of an eye. I don't know what age you'll become. I hope it's 25. Suddenly, your immortal body, this one like Christ's, will be yours. And you'll meet him in the air. Now, people who know about these things say that this this word to meet is actually a technical word used in this passage, which means... The sort of meeting that citizens of a city would do if a great potentate or a Roman governor approaches the city. And as he approaches the city, people from the city go out to meet him. And Paul is mixing that up with what happened in Acts at the Ascension and Jesus goes into the clouds and goes, doesn't he? And the angels say, in like manner, will he come again? Oh, through the clouds to the earth. You know, he goes that way. He comes back the same way, the donk. And so what is described here is a going out to meet him. Except it's more a going up than an out. So you're going up to meet him in the air and bring him ceremonially, glorifyingly, powerfully, casting your branches down as he comes down to earth. And then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And Isaiah 65 makes it very clear You read that prophecy in Isaiah 65, you will see God saying, behold, I'm making all things new. New heaven, new earth. And Jesus will be with us on earth. A new earth. With fishes and cows? Who knows? With mountains and Beaches? Hopefully. So, this is what happens, this reunion between us and those who've died in Christ. And so the Thessalonians were comforted by these words. And of course he raises the question with them as well, Well then, when? You know, we thought it was going to be pretty soon, but Paul is saying, no, there's a a whole... there's, There's a whole scheme of things that incorporates the dead with the living that, you know, you don't need to worry. Can be any time. And they might have said, well, okay, but when? What sort of timescale? In your lifetime, Paul? Because you're relatively young at this point. Maybe. I suppose, Paul might have said. But what he does say is, be ready. Be ready. It could be 
any time. Be ready. And there's lots of people who have looked through the scriptures and picked out this verse and that verse and said, oh, this is that and this is that. And we need to wait for this and there's going to be that. Paul's not interested in any of that. Paul just says, be ready. Don't worry about the times and the seasons. Do you remember what Jesus said to the disciples before he ascended? He says, it's not for you to know the time. Because they were asking the same question. What, what? What? When? It's not for you to know the time or the season. It's amazing how many people are still trying to know. Work it out. Proclaim it to their followers and climb mountains and sit and wait for the end of the world. It's amazing. Because the Bible is very clear. You don't know. You don't know. Don't even bother trying to find out because you won't know. This is solely in the hand of the Father. It's his decision. So you won't know. So don't worry. Just be ready. And by being ready, I don't think he means have, you know, your packet of sandwiches and your thermos flask and sit on Scarfell. I don't think that's what he means by being ready. Because you wouldn't live life then, would you? How can you be ready and live the life? Well, by being ready mentally. By being ready for Jesus' return at any time means I know I'm living the life he called me to. And he can break into that at any time. Maybe he'll break into it with death. Maybe he'll break into it with his coming again. But if I'm living as God wants me to live and pursuing the life he wants me to lead, then I'm ready. Aren't I? I want him to to come again or for me to die with no regrets. Because I'm ready. And that's, I think, what he's talking about. And so he's talking about people who are ready for his return, which will be sudden. He will suddenly return. What does that mean to you, suddenly? Well, suddenly, surprisingly. It'll take us by surprise, and yet we'll be ready. Revealingly, unavoidably, when he comes again, people who are not Christians will have a shock. Let's be honest, it will be a shock to them. Because they're not ready, and they don't believe. So when Jesus comes with this great trumpet, when this cataclysmic event occurs on the earth, there's a lot of people who are going to have a shock. It's cataclysmic and it's sudden and it's revealing Jesus and it's unavoidable. 
and it's inevitable and unstoppable. Did you know that? The coming of Jesus is sudden, inevitable, unstoppable. It reminds me of when Jackie was pregnant with the first child. You know, and the waters broke and, you know, all things started happening. And I'm thinking, <gasps> suddenly, you know, after all these months of waiting, you know what it's like, don't you? Well, some of us do. All these months of waiting and then, boom, suddenly it's starting. And I think to myself, Why did I begin all this? You know, you go through this. Perhaps you didn't. I, I did. I went through this process of thinking, I want to stop this. Can I stop it now, please? I don't like seeing Jackie like this. I don't want it. It was a process... That took me by surprise. It took Jackie by surprise as well, actually. And, yeah, it's not a surprise, is it? Because you've been waiting nine months for it. But when it came, it was sudden. When Jesus comes again, we may have been waiting for years for it but it will be sudden and irrevocable. You can't stop Jesus. You can't, you know, non-Christians won't be able to say, oh, stop, I didn't know, I didn't realise, I don't want. No, it's going to happen and it's going to be unstoppable. So let's be ready. Let's be ready. For us, of course, there is this glorious, glorious verse Verse 9 of chapter 5. For God has not destined us for wrath. Isn't that wonderful? For God has not destined us for wrath. You don't need to fear the second coming. It's all joy to you. I don't know what it will feel like to lift off the earth and go into the air to meet Jesus. I don't know what it will feel like. Will I feel like I'm treading on solid ground when it's nothing there? I don't know. All sorts of interesting questions come into my head because I'm like that. But what I know is that it will be all joy. It will be amazing. We'll be applauding. We'll be shouting. We'll be saying, praise God. Oh, look at that. That's what we'll be doing. Because God has not destined us for wrath, but for salvation. Not destined us for wrath, but for all the good things that are going to come. Do not be afraid. Your sins are forgiven. Do not be afraid. You are loved by God. Do not be afraid of any of this because 
God will deal with you as covered by the blood of Jesus and deeply loved. Do not be afraid, but be ready. Be ready always to meet him. on that beautiful day. The Thessalonians, they were worried about their loved ones who died. That was what's dominating their thinking. And I want to just challenge us today something that's challenged me. When you think about all of this, Do you think, wow, won't it be great to see Dad again? Or won't it be great to see my friend again? Won't it be great to see all these people that I've longed to see again? Won't it be great? to the point where Jesus seems to sort of slip out of the picture somehow. Jesus seems to sort of take a back seat to your imagination of what it will be like to meet your friends again. Does Jesus slip out of the picture for you? Oh, it's great, he's coming again. And you have this sort of mental ascent that, yeah, it would be great to see Jesus again. Or first time. It'll be, it'll be great. But there's all these other people. Do they swamp your picture? Because actually Jesus is right at the centre. He's the one who's enabled it all. He's the one whose death on a cross gave you the opportunity to think these thoughts about friends who've died. Shouldn't he be centre? Do you love me more than these? It's a big challenge, isn't it? So I want to suggest an answer. That is, as we go through life and we worship Jesus, and we have times of worship when you get lost in wonder and love. It'll be like that on that day. And you may not be able to artificially generate it yourself now but come the day we'll be perfected come the day there'll be no wrong attitude come the day we will be able to 
handle it. Come the day we will give Jesus all the honour due his name. It'll flow out of us because we are his people. It'll flow out of us because we have been made new. It'll flow out of us because we have an eternity with him and with the others. <coughs> so, I just challenge you, if you're feeling like I sometimes have felt, Jesus sort of disappears a bit from the picture, don't worry. He knows. But he also knows that when the day comes, your worship will be right and heartfelt. And we'll know his love in ways we can't imagine now. All things will be different and yet somehow the same. Lord, just help us as we worship you to discover more and more that our hearts rise to you. Lord, as we go through life and we worship week by week, may there be times when we know our spirit rises to you, almost unbidden by us, that we're caught up with you as we will be one day physically caught up with you. Amen. <laughs>